Do you like retro video games? Then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micers podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Dead Game is the new podcast where award-winning comedy writer Wally Phelps and award-seeing comedy sidekick Carlos Longoria (laughs) use their powers of necromancy to resurrect failing or long-suffering game franchises. From Fortnite to Rock Band, D&D to Double Dragon, listen to Dead Game, where games go to get good. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. Just drop that ass, bitch, it's open micers in the house. Pop that pussy with that open micers logo in your mouth. Jason with his bald ass head, Jacob looking in bed. It's open micers, bitch, heard what I said. Drop that ass, drop that ass, open micers in the house. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, open micers in the house. Open micers in the house, open micers in the mouse. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, open micers in the house. The mic is now open. And by far, uh, since we've had that theme song, Tom has had the best look on his face so far while the song is playing. And, I'm shocked. Uh, it's that's actually I, I'm offended that you don't like it because that's my prom song, <laughs> and it brings me back many many years to that beautiful night. Uh, <laughs> and this is the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig, and that beautiful voice you hear on the third Zoom screen over there can only be coming from one man. He is somebody that you know from the finals of America's Got Talent, and he has done so much else as well. He has headline shows at the Comedy Cellar. He has taken the stage at some of the biggest places in comedy, including the Just for Last Festival. He is the one and the only Tom Cotter. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. I'm honored to be here, but I'm um, I, I'm not the one and only. I'm the one in a million because in China there's a, a ten thousand just like me. Hello, everybody. First joke. It's a math joke. Do it. Ten thousand Tom Cotters in China. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. So, what what did you genuinely feel about our theme song? Because I I feel like we've we've had one guest who has actually liked it. What what did, what were your your feelings yeah. about it? It's a little redundant. Um, if yeah. you know, you have to say drop that ass or drop that pussy yeah. seventy two times in <laughs> a. That's a little much. Um, I'm worried that it might repel some people initially when they hear it, thinking that it's going to be um, a much more vulgar show. So I feel like I have to be vulgar now because the theme song was vulgar. Right. Well, my so mom loves it. You know, she. I'm just... gonna drop some ass, and I'm gonna drop some pussy. I don't know how you drop. Well, pop some pussy. I think it is. I don't know how you do that either. That sounds like a medical condition. But um, I, I, I'm um, opinion free of your theme song. So yeah, it's that a has... theme song. Who cares? It gets your attention. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Most podcasts they don't even they don't even have the balls to play the theme song for the guests. They'll just add yeah. it in later. We want to get your opinions on this. I. I'd say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's broke. Okay. That has been a, a, a genuine concern of ours is that we'll play our theme song for a guest and then they'll just log off the Zoom meeting and we won't have a show anymore. 
I would never run away from foul language. I lived in a fraternity for two years, so I'm fine with that. Um, but I, I, you know, I just don't know. Uh, it does say the mic is open. I mean, it does do yeah. its job. Yeah, it's open. Yeah, but I, I never really thought about it before, Jacob. Like, I could, because Jacob always yells at me because I try to use Gen Z slang. But is yes. pop and pussy Gen Z slang? Is that something that? I should know, or is that is yeah, that I'm is that like Tom Tell said? Me, is that I know popping tags? It means yeah. you're going thrift shopping. I don't know <laughs> what right. popping pussy means. Is it is no. it is it a medical condition? Is it something somebody should look out for? This isn't even Gen Z slang, guys. You you're you've skipped a whole generation. This is like millennial stuff. This is really? old. Yeah, no one says popping pussy anymore. It's old now. Wow. Hmm. I missed the whole uh, pop the pussy phase. Yeah, apparently. It too. was a good phase to be in, Tom. I guess. <laughs> I don't know how you w- one would pop a pussy, but I'm sure it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it makes the desired sound, but it definitely. And and the, and the guy who wrote it, pussy. the guy who wrote it, is in the chat room right now, Mark Simmons, and he says it transcends genres. Is what he says. True that. Yeah, I think. Uh, Anyone who listens to that song will hate it, no matter what type of music they listen to. <laughs> Truly trans. I didn't. Well, first of all, he's in the chat room. Let's not hurt his feelings. Second of all, uh, I didn't hate it. I just okay. didn't. Uh, I don't think. I, 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 don't I thought think... it was a little. My my comment was it was a little redundant because yeah, uh, it repeated the same thing. But how many other songs repeat the same shit yeah, over? Constructive and over criticism. I don't yeah. think. I don't think Mark has feelings to hurt. Anyway, he's. he's... <laughs> He's a pussy popping motherfucker. Yeah, I can tell man. You that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know the guy. He's out there dropping ass and popping pussies and all kinds yeah. of stuff. He wins. <laughs> he wins, dude. He definitely wins. I'm I'm glad we finally got a good review of our of our theme song to add to the repertoire. Not sure it's a good one, but it is uh, it's mine. <laughs> Trust me, it's better than everyone else has given it. Oh man! Let's but get we're to so... brass tacks here. We uh, we're called yeah, the Open Micers Podcast, and we we have a guest that 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 man has, has done a, done some stuff. Jacob, uh, he's done things. So we got to go back to the beginning. Got to take everybody back to the beginning and tell us, Tom, what was your very first open mic like? Tell us about it. Ah, uh, wow! That was a long, long. You know, when I first got into show business i was quiet and shy because i was a mime and then uh, i stopped being a mime because i felt it was racist because i had to put white face on every day so i stopped doing that i went into stand-up 1996 i had a date with destiny that was the stripper's name destiny we went to a comedy club (laughs) and um i watched these guys come out one after another and make a room full of strangers laugh and i thought wow i might want to try that one day and then at the end of the night uh, Destiny blew the headliner, and I said, "I'm going to try that one night. That's going to be something I'm going to pursue." <laughs> and uh, it, I was off. No, that, all right. What I really did, I did it. Uh, my first time on stage was a uh, talent show. Um, I did two talent shows. One for a fraternity system with Pi Beta Phi, which is the Pi Phi's. So it's, it's a female sorority, and then we were ATO. We had a and we had a stupid little thing, and they made me. My fraternity brothers made me go up there and um, and MC it, and I was hammered. That was the first time. Second time on stage was a Muscular Dystrophy Association telethon um, kind of talent show that we did to raise money for that. 
And I did stand up at that. And I made fun of everything, the administration, the faculty, the fraternities, you know, the the preppy kids, the guidos, everybody else. And I got disqualified from that competition that night. Uh, so I didn't win the prize, but I got high fives all over campus for the next two weeks <laughs> because I said some irreverent things. And so I thought that's when I thought I'm going to go try an open mic night. And then my first open mic night was in Providence, Rhode Island from Wednesday Hale. And I went there eight weeks in a row and watched on a Wednesday night. Wednesday was their open mic night. And the guy hosting it, Charlie Hall, who became a mentor of mine, great comic, funny guy, great guy, uh, came up to me after the eighth week and said, I've seen you in here eight weeks in a row by yourself, sitting in the corner. No one comes to an open mic night to watch the open micers eight weeks in a row. Clearly, you want to try this. Grow a dick. Get up on stage tonight. <laughs> and I said, I'm not ready, but I do want to try it. And he said, well, then you have to leave because I'm not going to have you sit. And I went, OK, so I'll go up. So he had the bouncer basically say I had to go up. And I went up and I did 10 jokes. Two of them worked. Eight of them crashed and burned. But those two were enough to get me to want to come back the next week. And then uh, I was off to the races. Sorry that was so long. No, that's fine. We, we like all the juicy details. Yeah. Yes, please. No, no detail is uh, too detailed to be spared. Good. Yeah. So that was it. Charlie uh, still is a dear friend of mine. I wrote a book a while ago. I thought it was up here. It's not. And he did all the illustrations for it. We're still great friends and I still value his opinion. He gave me great wisdom coming up. That's something that your listeners might want to know is that listen to the headliners. You know, a lot of them are full of themselves. A lot of them uh, have, uh, you know, a hidden agenda. They're definitely out for themselves. I get all that, but they do have valuable scar tissue. They have wisdom and they're really smart. When I was new in Boston, I was really, there was three of us. There was me, Joe Rogan, and Mike McCarthy. And we were three guys. We were in the same kind of group coming up together and um, we were filthy. That was the three, the thing about all three of us. I had 15 minutes and it was 15 minutes of just sex jokes. And Rogan was Rogan, and Mike McCarthy was Mike McCarthy, and the headliners kind of uh, hotboxed us. They uh, they kind of swarmed on us one night at Nick's, and they said to us, "Look, you guys seem like you're all right guys, but no one wants to hang out with you. No one wants to work with you because you ruin the audience. You go up and do 15 minutes of filth, and then I'm the headliner. I got to go up and follow that with my clean and clever shit. No one wants to have to dig out of that hole." So. Um, we recommend you change what you're doing. And Rogan, to his credit, said, go fuck yourself. And he <laughs> stuck with his course of action, which has been obviously very, very lucrative. But Mike McCarthy and I both said, yeah, all right, you might be right. And they were right, because when you're filthy, you can't work at some colleges. You certainly can't do corporate. You can't do cruise ships. You can't do some colleges. So, you know, you, you, you narrow the sphere within you, which you get to work. When you're clean, you can work everywhere. And I cleaned it up, and uh, it's all C's. It's uh, corporate college, cruise ship, casino, comedy club. And I can do them all and have for years, and uh, some comics can't. Yeah. So the more stuff you're able to do when there's a pandemic or something else, um, you know, we have a, a strike right now. If you're also, you know, if you're an actor, you can fall back on stand-up because you've got that many markets to, to still work in if you're clean. Clean. I'm not clean. But I can be clean when I need to at a corporate event. Yeah, right. I, I know Jacob <laughs> tries to do some clean stuff. I, I, I try to, to write some clean stuff, but I don't know. It's just not as interesting to me to not, 
Well, again, Rogan seems to seems to have not affected his career yeah. too much. Uh, so, yeah, you can't. Dave Attell has had a great career, but he can't do corporate. You yeah. know, I mean, right. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite comics in the world, but he's just so edgy that, you know, I, when I do a corporate now, they're so paranoid that you're going to say something wrong that, you know, you have to have four conference calls leading up to it. Where you got to yeah. talk to someone from HR, one of the vice presidents, one of the production people. You know, and they want to make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, but they also want to make sure you're not going to do anything that's transphobic, homophobic, you know, gay bashing, uh, you know, sexist, racist in any way, shape or form. And, and yeah, but I mean, so you, you shouldn't really do that anyway. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that anyway, but, you know. <laughs> not at a corporate event, but, you know, they want to make sure. Heads have rolled. People have been, been fired. You know, if you're a corporate buyer and you're having an event coming up, big conference, and you can have the uh, BG's tribute band or you can have a comedian, which one do you think is going to get you in more trouble? The BG's, they may, they may pinch a waitress on the ass, but the comedian <laughs> might say something that's going to go viral. And then, you know, your your PR team is going to be furious and yeah. uh, digging out of that hole. What, what does that say about the state of stand-up comedy, Tom, where people are, are it's more in willing a dark to be place, Jake. It's <laughs> lightly sexually assaulted than to <laughs> listen to a dirty joke? <laughs> it's where we are, man. We came out of a pandemic, and I was like, two years of unemployment. I married a comedian, so we were just, you know, we were bumming. We couldn't work. So doing these shitty Zoom shows where, you know, you can't even hear the people laughing, and or you hear dogs barking or babies crying. It's horrible. So we came out of that into this woke thing that's happening now where everybody's terrified. So mm. now you have to do a corporate, you have to do, if you're doing an hour, it's 45 minutes of it has to be self-deprecating. It has to be you right. shitting on yourself because no one's going to get offended by that. But there's other stuff you want to make fun of. That's what comedy is. It's lampooning. It's mocking. Yeah. It's, you know, it's uh, making fun of. And you can no longer make fun of so many things or you have to do so with such velvet gloves on. That it's uh, it's unfortunate. It's I, I hope the pendulum swings back. I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture for your listeners that it's that comedy. It's just in a dark place right now, and it's hard. Comedy sucks. Turn off this podcast right now. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a great way to make a, comedy is a dream job if you dream of poverty and rejection. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, you bring up an interesting point with the Zoom mic, too, because that's something that's been uh, so unprecedented, unprecedented, I feel like. Um, what Did you have any sort of nightmare experiences with the Zoom mics? So I know I, I did one Zoom show one time where I was being heckled the entire time by somebody who didn't have their camera on and was just typing mean things about me in the chat while I'm trying to do my jokes. Yeah. And now you got to read your heckles. What the fuck is that all about? Right. And I, I have to take a break to, to read it. Now I like, got to read the shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were horrible. my eighth grade education, just moving my lips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That happened all the time, too. You had the Godzilla movies, you know, where the lips didn't sync with the. It, I didn't like the Zoom thing. People were in their homes. I literally, I did a, a million of them. You know, Ray yeah. uh, Ellen, uh, Aruba Ray, is a good, good friend of mine. We go back to Boston. So we go back 30 years. Um, and so when he wasn't having me in Aruba, thank God, for his club there and the other guys, which we all loved, that was a great escape during COVID. The other thing he was doing is keeping us busy. He had, for some reason, he, he, marketed, he had the market cornered in the Zoom thing. So we did a billion of them. 
some of them didn't suck so bad, but and and I felt like we were getting better at them as they went along. But man, I I God, I heard literally screaming children, uh, people farting. I, we were you know, and you hear that <laughs> you just can't. They're in their living room and they feel their people are comfortable. They also break in a conversation because they are, there's no filter, there's no bouncer in their living room telling them to shut up. So that happens. So who do you mute, who do you not mute became a big thing. So some of them we muted, unmuted 10 people for a show with 200 people in attendance uh, because you didn't want to hear the background bullshit. I literally heard a guy argue with his pizza delivery guy over his tip and it went on for five minutes because <laughs> his voice was louder than anybody else. And as you know on Zoom, the loudest voice takes over. So. It went on forever, and we just we try to do play by play, but you're getting cut off. It was the worst. I hated the Zoom stuff. I did two Zoom shows, and I I was like, I can't do any more of these things because I just wanted to to just die after that second one. I was like, I just can't, I can't wow. mentally do this. It's just it's awful. They are awful. I you know I did a bunch of them, and it was okay, and the money was okay because the commute was easy, you know, and yeah, I literally right. did. I, I have literally, I can say it with honesty, I played, I performed multiple times in my underwear, unbeknownst to the audience. <laughs> and uh, so, the, you know, it served its purpose. I was glad to have it. During I'm those, in my underwear right uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have underwear on too, but I have pants on over them. That's the beauty of podcasting. Damn right. <laughs> Look, I, I had the luxury of uh, going, trying to go to college during the pandemic as well. Oh, and God, I, would, I feel so bad. Yeah, the Zoom classroom is kind of worse than the Zoom open mic. <laughs> I hate to bring it to you guys. Because we, we had this class one time where we were doing a novel study about Jack Kerouac on the road or something like that. And he, like, the, the book or whatever we were reading had just a ton of racial slurs in it. And so our teacher got on her high horse about how, like, a whole racial slur thing. And then several people just start typing them in the chat and like will not stop and they don't even realize that they're doing it they're just like is blank a racial slur is blah 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 a racial slur and they just keep saying it over and over again to where she has to just end the class because the wow. entire class is typing racial slurs into the <laughs> chat room well she she started that by going up on her high horse and you know yeah, if she if she would have just let us say a few, you know. Yeah, I feel bad for you guys who were in college during the pandemic because here you are, your sexual peak, and you're being told to stay six feet away from people. That's horrible. I I I, I think your generation has taken a beating on that that others haven't, and yeah, I I feel bad. Well, most people want to be fair. Most people want Jacob to stay at least six feet away from them at all times. So. <laughs> yeah, Jacob, you don't have to take that. <laughs> no, but I, I was taking quite a few beatings during my sexual peak. If you know I mean. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> all right, so we are we are doing comedy in Boston. You are yeah. an open micer. How long are you doing open mics? How long are you doing local shows before you start to really like break into comedy clubs? I, Boston, I, I'm very blessed. When you start doing comedy in Providence, Rhode Island, you have an option. You can go one hour north to Boston or you can go three hours south to New York. I eventually ended up here in New York. I've been here for 20 years. But I value the time that I spent in Boston so much. And I am so thrilled that I was just the people I, I was working with all the time. Before me was uh, Jay Leno and Stephen Wright and Dennis Leary and Bob Goldthwaite. 
a lot of guys who just went to college in Boston and stuck around. They weren't from Boston. There was such a great comedy community there. And when I showed up, you know, the open micers, uh, we were a force. We were a team. There's so many of us. And we would hang out on the off nights. And there were so many open mics. We were lucky. But now I feel bad for the people starting now. Because when I started, they, they, the headliners would say to us, I feel bad for you guys. There's only four open mic nights this week. Uh, there's only four opportunities to get on stage. And all you have to do is sign a piece of paper and show up. Because uh, they were like, when we were starting, you know, there were two open mics a night. You couldn't get. Uh, but I was happy to have the four. Four was more than enough for me. And now there's barely any. And you got to do these bringer shows where you have to harass 10 or 15 oh, of your yeah. friends or family to come see the show. I never did that. I never would do that. That would be a deal breaker. I would have gotten out of comedy if I had to harass my friends, family, or coworker to come see me uh, in order for me to get stage time. So there was a club in Boston called Dick Doherty's uh, Comedy Vault, and he would sometimes ask you to set up chairs before the show or something, and some people did that to get stage time. But uh, I was just, you know, I, there was plenty of stage time. There were plenty of open mics, and uh, we were always hanging out together. We were thick as thieves. It was Greg Fitzsimmons and... Uh, we played softball together during the day, and then we'd tell jokes at night. And uh, Louis C.K., Nick DiPaolo, God, there was such a huge uh, – Billy Burr, um, Dane Cook. It was crazy. David Cross, they were all there. And uh, there were clicky comics. It, like over in Harvard Square, there was a Catch a Rising Star. That's where Louis C.K. hung out. That's where Brian Kiley hung out. Um, he's the head writer for Conan for 20 years. Um a million other guys who were really good, very smart people that ended up going into writing. And then there are their Knicks comics who were basically your club comics, your touring road comics. And we'd get together and play softball against each other. And it was very cool. But uh, yeah, there were, there were, there was plenty of stage time back then because Boston is, is all bars that, you know, the bars would have open mic nights. There were pubs that would have open mic nights. And so Boston is hospitals, bars, and colleges. And so it's a great comedy town and all the bars until karaoke came along. Mm -hmm. uh, they all had a comedy night. Every bar had a comedy night and there was just tons of stage time. Well, it sounds like right. all those names you just said, like from the Boston scene, like that just sounds like an amazing time to be coming up in comedy. It was, I was so lucky to be in, you know, in that mix with all those people because they, have become, so many of them have become lifelong dear friends, but we just had a reunion in October. We had a, I mean, uh, August, we had a reunion in um, Giggles Comedy Club, which is in uh, Saugus, Massachusetts. Mike Clark, Lenny Clark is a famous comic. His brother, Mike, owns uh, Giggles Comedy Club. And so we had the reunion there and it was so great to see all those, so many old people. And then a lot of guys were on the road and couldn't make it, but man, it was so great to see that we had slideshows and all these old photos and everybody stumbled down memory lane. It was great. <laughs> cool. It was a great time to be, you know, I, I mentioned that to on another podcast and uh, Richie Minervini just put me in my place and schooled me because I was saying what a great comedy town Boston was. And he was like, well, Long Island's better. And I said, really? And he said, rattle them off. It's unbelievable. It's not Manhattan, but Long Island has Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Romano, um, Rosie O'Donnell, Chris Rock, a Seinfeld. Um, God, it's unbelievable. Eddie Murphy. Um, I, I'm just scratching the surface. Kevin James. The amount of money that's come out of Long Island 
Uh, and those com- that comedy scene is trumps anyone anywhere. It's unbelievable. They should probably put some money back into Long Island. <laughs> I hate Long Island, dude. I'm with you on that. Can't stand it. Worst traffic in the world. Love their iced tea. But to have, for whatever reason, Boston and Long Island have had this great comedy uh, explosion out of those two cities. Other cities as well, but those two in particular just blow me away with the, the amount of talent that have come out of those two schools. Yeah. And so the Boston comedy scene at this time, was it very rough at all? Because I know that Boston kind of has a reputation of, you know, being a rough area for comedy. It was rough. Greg Fitzsimmons famously says, you know, he's a New York kid who went to Boston University. And so he started his comedy career in Boston. He's one of those guys. So did Alon Gold went to BU and uh, um, Jeff Ross. Uh, uh, they, They were just the BU guys. The Emerson people were crazy. They're, that's where, I mean, that, so many great comics came out of there. And then there were, you know, comics from Boston College and everywhere else. Anyway, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons says, the thing about Boston is you learn to kill. Nick's comedy mm-hmm. stop was called Thunderdome. And if you remember the movie Thunderdome, it said two men enter, one man leaves, which means you have to kill. And it was just, you know, headliner slaying, another headliner slaying, another headliner slaying. That's what the shows were. And it was crazy. It was just, you know, um, the, the amount of energy in a room back then was crazy. No one wanted to follow Dane Cook. I can tell you that. That was, uh, that was his. He, he had to close those shows. So what do you feel about what's happened to Dane Cook these days? He's kind of really fallen far from the spotlight. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to be... Uh, on Dane's side, I think a lot of the backstabbing that happened to him when he was on his way up is out of jealousy. I think a lot of people were really jealous of uh, what was going on with Dane. Dane was always good to me. I married a comic out of Boston, Kerry Louise. He was always good to my wife. I, I don't have a bad thing to say about him. You know, a lot of comics mocked him because he was, you know, big in a different market, even in the college market. Uh, but I say cha-ching. We all would do the go- same goddamn thing. You know, I mean, he was really... After your- and he mastered the uh, social media thing yes. with MySpace, mastered it, had a black belt at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I prefer to look back in awe and respect at what he did rather than, you know, bitterness and anger and why, why wasn't that me? Dane's a talented, talented dude. He could read the phone book and make it funny. And side note, uh, another comic out of Boston that we all love, one of my dearest friends, Kevin Knox, was dying of cancer. They were doing benefits for him. And, you know, each benefit was raising maybe a grand, a couple thousand dollars. Dane took his night off to fill a room in L.A., uh, taking a big financial hit himself to fill it with his people. It was sold out. And that night they made like uh, someone said thirty, thirty five thousand dollars for this guy who's dying of cancer. And, uh, you know, so I'm a I'm I'm on Dane's side. I'm team Dane for whatever. And. I'll take his career over mine any day. He's had a great run. He's still out there touring, and, uh, you know, good for him. Well, I saw a video with him not too long ago, an an interview with him where he was talking about at at that time, like around 2003, 2004, you know, when he was coming up and and MySpace was really starting to take off. You know, he would go do uh, the, the open mics or whatever, and he said while all the other comics were going out, you know, getting drunk or whatever for the rest of the night, he was going back to the apartment and he would spend literally like six, seven, eight hours answering and talking to every single person on 
MySpace, like one-on-one, like answering their messages and stuff like that. So he was spending a lot of time building, you know, that social media following. So, you know, good on him for what he did and seeing that way before everybody else did. And everybody else got jealous and just tore him down for it. Yeah. People, you know, there's so much backstabbing in this business. It's so crazy. I was worried when I went on America's Got Talent that I was going to be, that was one of my biggest fears is, you know, the comedy community is going to uh, shit all over me. And they were surprisingly nice. I was, you know, there was some people, of course, who threw some stones, which was fine. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the vast majority, I was surprised by how nice people were. And I was pleasantly surprised. And uh, I like it when um, people are, are less that way. Uh, yeah. You know, Hassan Minaj right now is getting some shit in the news. I don't know if you read all that stuff. Right. But, uh, but, you know, I, I prefer to celebrate the accomplishments of my peers rather than yeah. crap all over. I, Dane uh, did that. He really did go home every night and not just made a fan, but a friend, a mm-hmm. loyal friend. And those kids followed him all through. They were, they were kids when he really started doing it. And they grew, grew up through high school and college and followed him. And that's why he did arenas. He did fucking arenas. Dane Cook lost $5 million and didn't know he lost it until his accountant <laughs> said to him, yeah. hey, you're, you're missing $5 million. And then they found out the perpetrator and nailed the guy. But I would love to be in a position where I misplaced $5 million and I have no idea I fucking misplaced $5 million. Yeah. So uh, good on Dane. It's the part, the guy right. that- That's what he did. That's the book on him is he, he did his homework. He knew how to do it. He responded to everybody. It's like the old guys, uh, the the you know, the back in the fifties where you'd get a handwritten note from Sinatra. The, Dane Cook reached yeah. out to some little girl in Iowa, and she was like, "Fuck, he's he, I I love this man forever." That's how you do business. And you can still do that today. You know, you, like I don't have time for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing that. Well, we got to tell you guys about B Res Coffee Company. That's right. B-Reds Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by gamers. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. Look, we, we see it happening again today. I mean, Matt Reif essentially took the Dane Cook formula and ran with mm-hmm. it. And he's still running with it. So, and I say that you got to adapt to the marketplace. It's changed. Yeah. I've been at this way too long, guys. I've been at this for over 35 years. And I, uh, I watched from going to send me a tape. That was when everyone said, when you were in the business, send me a tape and you'd sent them a VHS tape and a big honking VHS in the mail. You'd send that with a press kit. You had something called a press kit, which had, you know, your resume and it was all in a folder and everything. You'd send that out. And, uh, you know, now it's all one click and they decide whether or not they want you. It's changed so dramatically. And, some of the changes are good, but this woke thing that's happening now where you can't say anything is uh, a disturbing trend. So how was it uh, going on uh, America's Got Talent? Like, is that just sort of a, I, I can't imagine the stress level of having to do something like that. Yeah. 
That was uh, that was I had diarrhea <laughs> that whole summer. I had acne and diarrhea, and I was forty eight years old. Uh, so that's sad. Um, yeah, it's, it's very stressful. I uh, all right. The here's the story on the AGT. For years, everyone said you have to do it. They'd say to me, "You have to do it because if you've watched my act at all, you know I'm a one liner guy. I'm a rapid fire one liner misdirection guy, and that formula." fits nicely into the 90 seconds. We had 90 seconds to perform on that show. It's ridiculous. They, they'll do five minutes of video on you and your family before you perform, yeah. and then they'll give you 90 fucking seconds, pardon my language, to perform. But that's what they did. So everyone said, year after year, agents, managers, other comedians, comedy club owners would say to me, you got to go on the show. It, it's perfect for you. It's 90 seconds. You can cram a lot of jokes into that 90 seconds. Go on. And I wouldn't do it because we watched it as a family with my three sons. And we thought that Pierce Morgan just hated comedy, which he did. He had a stick up his ass uh, and he hated American comics. And so he eviscerated people that I like. Geechee Guy just passed away recently. And Pierce Morgan gave him the buzzer in like 10 seconds. And he was just a dick. But so when he left in season seven and Howard Stern took his seat, the judge panel now was Howie Mandel, a comic, uh, Sharon Osborne, the wife of the Prince of Darkness, and uh, Howard Stern is basically a comedian. And that's a great judges panel for comedians. Oh, yeah. So uh, finally, I was like, I'm not getting any, any younger. And uh, if I'm going to try something, we hated reality TV. We hated these shows because they replaced the sitcom. And we were all like, you know, as comedians, we're like, well, where are comedians going to be? And now we're all sleeping with the enemy and we're all doing these goddamn shows. But yeah, so I, <laughs> I went on that season and um, I got lucky and uh, moved along and I had a nice run and I'm very fortunate. It was the best thing that ever happened in my career. Was there ever any point on America's Got Talent where you thought for sure, well, this is as far as I'm making it. It's been a good run. A couple of times. Uh, yeah, the first, well, the Vegas show, they had eight comics and we knew they were going to cut it down to two. And so your odds are not good there. But I made that cut. But I, I was surprised to make that cut. I'm not, you know, telegenic. I'm, you know, I'm not eye candy. There were younger comics and stuff. But I think they like, I was the grizzled old veteran at 48 of these comics. So I think that may have helped me push through me through. I don't know. But whatever. Uh, the Vegas round, I moved on. And then the next first live round, I got in my head and I um I came out for a rehearsal and did a set. I had to have seven sets approved in advance. So I had seven 90 second sets approved with standards and practices. They want to do it all at once and they said that way if you go to the end of the show, we'll know, you know, which one you're doing. We will have approved them already along the way. So I practiced a set that I was going to do that night. And but during rehearsal, it's an empty theater. It's just cameramen and that's it. And there was no laughter. And I was like, I'm not confident with that set. So I changed it that night without telling my producer, the director, the aide, anybody. And they all freaked out. Uh, you can find the tape, but they all, even Nick Cannon was like, uh, you, wow, you had us nervous because, <laughs> you know, it's a live show and they don't know what the hell I'm going to say. And I wasn't saying what I had rehearsed. And so, but uh, I thought they were going to throw me off the show after that, but um, I moved on and um, they were cool. The, the executive producer, came back to me and said, look, you know, I'm in the director's truck outside. And when the director is freaking out and everyone else is freaking out, that makes me freak out. We freaked out. You can't do that to us again. I said, <laughs> I promise I won't do that to you again. But yeah, I made it past that. And then I had, 
you know, no comic had ever made it to the finals. So I was confident that wasn't going to happen. Uh, and um, since then, you know, there've been, I think four comics have been the runner up now, uh, at least three of us um, and others have made the finals. So that, uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, I'm glad I was the one that got the door open, but others have come in now. We just need to win the goddamn thing. A comic has never won. I was on two years ago with Josh Blue in the finals. We did a little skit because at the, he won last comic standing. I thought he'd win. At the, he's so funny. And he's, you know, he's got um, MS, must, multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you pull on the heartstrings there, too. He's, uh, he's just a great dude. And he didn't win. I don't know what the hell you have to do to win the goddamn show, but it's never been won by a comedian in 20 know. seasons and, now or whatever it is. And so do you think that it's possibly because you have to go through so much as a comedian on that show where you have to submit so much to be approved, whereas if you have a dog act or a dance or whatever, it's not, you don't have to do that? I, they were pretty cool with me. They only had a problem with one joke. Literally, of all the ones I submitted. Now, I knew I was doing TV, so I wasn't submitting any meaning that we were really out there. But yeah. they, it was the first year of Howard Stern as a judge, and they, were, they wanted to have his fans come aboard, and they knew he was edgy. So they didn't mind me being edgy. And they right. said, you know, we'll, uh, we have a seven-second delay when you do the live thing. If, if you slip and drop an F-bomb in there, we can cover that. Uh, so I, I knew I wasn't going to get in trouble. Um, uh, I think it's harder for a comedian because. It's a big stage. My season, the guy everyone thought was going to win, played an enormous harp. It had strings that went all the way through the theater, like uh, from the stage all the way up to the rafters of the theater. And he played this thing. And everyone thought he was going to win because it was the most unique act. And it was great. Well, the first episode, he comes out with just the harp. Second episode, after he moves on, every time he moves on, you come back. He comes back. He's got a full band with him with the harp. Third episode, he's got these women flying around on trapeze above the harp. He's got the band. He's got dancers. And it's like, you know, every time you, they, if you're an act like that, you can up it, up and up it and up it. Uh, the yeah. last one, he had like laser shows and shit. What can you do as a comedian? And that's a yeah. big stage. So I did some gimmicky shit that I, uh, I, I rolled the dice with. Literally, I thought, you know, it may not work. But I did uh, some stuff where I let them pick the topic. Uh, and then uh, the finals, I l- ro- literally rolled a die that had four to- or six topics on it um, to just, you know, fire into my material from whatever it landed on, just should, to make it more interesting. You should have came uh, out with lasers and pyro, <laughs> like a KISS concert. I know, I should have. When I did Champions, they had Paul Pot won my night. Paul Pot is a opera singer from Britain. Um, Champions is where they have all the finalists from all over the world get together and do their thing. And so I was up against Paul Pot. Everyone knew Paul Pot was going to win, but I didn't know how much they were stacking me to get. I wanted a dog. I wanted to walk out with a dog because I lost to a dog act on America's Got Talent. I wanted to walk out with a dog, and we were going to call the dog Simon Growl. It's supposed to get a little thing. that They wouldn't even hire me a dog. They they had to harass someone on the staff to to loan me their little shitty mangy dog. Then I found out that not only did they fly in uh, Paul Potts' entire team, there's like 50 people to Br- from Britain to L.A. to do. They flew in a whole laser team from Britain to do his while he was singing opera. And I'm like, you <laughs> motherfucker, you, you wouldn't give me one dog. And you brought in, you know, 60 people from England with uh, anyway. So I, I was annoyed at that. 
do you think a comic will ever be able to win America's Got Talent at this point? I do. I think at some point, I think America is going to go, come on. Why is that? There's, you know, jazz yeah. and stand up comedy are kind of two uniquely American art forms. Why America's Got Talent, who, by the way, the judges, my judges, uh, Howie Mandel, Canadian, Sharon Osbourne, British, uh, Howard Stern was the only American judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, you know, since then, you've had Mel B, who's British. You've got Simon back on there. You've got uh, 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 who's uh, uh, Heidi, Heidi Heidi Heidi's from Germany. Uh, nobody's American. And it's America's Got Talent. Um, but do I think I think eventually, you know, Howard Stern said he when he came aboard, he said, I want to see a comedian win the show and I want to see a rock band win the show. Neither has happened. Hmm. So has been singers, magicians. Yeah. Those are the biggest ventriloquists do pretty well. Time to get my band, Falls from Grace, on America's Got Talent, everybody. Start that hashtag on Twitter. Let's do it. Let's get it on there. We're going to happen. If you have little dogs in, the, in front of the stage with you, they probably... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you out with us, Tom. We'll bring out the little dog. We'll have lasers. We'll have pyro. It'll be fucking awesome, man. My wife and I now call it America's Got Problems, because you have to have some horrible sob story... Uh, to make yeah. it to the finals. It's unbelievable. Since me, the comedians, and they're all funny guys, but one guy had Tourette's, one guy has a stuttering issue, uh, one is uh, is Josh Blue, who's got uh, MS, not MS. Uh, so you have cerebral uh, palsy? Cerebral CP, I always get them confused. You know, a couple of years ago in the finals, you had a girl who was in a plane crash, so she was the only one who survived the plane crash, burns all over her body. Uh, she was a singer. You had another girl who was a singer whose father was diagnosed with cancer on the first episode and died by episode four. You had, it was unbelievable. You had a box of tissues the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, come on, just go by the talent. Right. And it sucks too, because these people are are really talented and it's almost like that's getting taken away from them in a way because it, it opens a door for people to say, oh, well, you're only there because you have a disability. It's not. Because of your it, talent. That, that reality is never reality. And last comic standing was way worse because they could they pre-recorded that. So they could definitely manipulate stuff in editing. So they made guys who bombed look like they were doing well, and guys who did really well look like they were bombing. Wow. And that's why would you do that? What, what to what what purpose is that for? I understand you're casting a show, but tell America you're casting a show. Don't eliminate, you know, a great comic who just slayed everyone saw him kill just because you want to put someone else in the house or something i still can't right. believe that piers morgan was a a judge on america's got Ta- like what did that guy ever do to be able to judge other people on talent that like I what guess. did simon cowell ever do simon cowell <laughs> just you know he found someone who was going to be ta- someone else who was talented and helped them make them into a star is that that's his talent uh, but you know, how are you judging someone else? That, I don't know. It's all I, the competition shows. I don't like comedy them. competitions. <laughs> I've been in a million comedy competitions, and I, you know, I've done Knockwood. I've had some good runs with them, but it's always weird for me. How? Who's to say that Robin Williams uh, is any more or less funny than Stephen Wright? One's a monologist. One's a zany, uh, you know, over the top performer. Uh, same with Jim Carrey and uh, Mitch Hedberg. How do you say which one of those is better? They're completely different kind of comedy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't, it's always apples and oranges. Right. 
And what was your experience like on Last Comic Standing as compared to America's Got Talent? Uh, uh, man, you, you guys, you should change the name of this podcast to The Bitter Guy. Um, <laughs> I, I'm only bitter because I, I, and I'm not even bitter for myself. I don't think I should have been. I, I made it from when they went, you know, they start with thousands of people. They went, they got to New York and they went from 40. We had 40 of us down to 20. And I, I didn't make the cut from 40 to 20. My wife did. And don't think I don't hear about that every time the trash doesn't go out. That comes up very frequently. Uh, but anyway, she made it from 20, uh, from 40 to 20. She made the top 20. And then they cut that in half in Vegas and went from 20 to 10. And the 10 went into the house. Well, the, the, that's where I was in the audience because I was there supporting my wife. And I watched the whole debacle that was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly when it said, when is reality not reality? And it was a big story in there because uh, it was it's such a it was such a farce, you know. A lot of people called it last, uh, not last comic standing. They called it uh, I can't remember. Think uh, last client standing because mm. uh, two of the producers of the show were managers and and had oh. a bunch of their clients get into the house who everyone thought did not deserve to get into the house over other comics. Dan Natterman is the big victim that night in in Vegas. He got a huge standing ovation. I was sitting behind the judges' table. It was Anthony Clark, Brett, Brett, uh, somebody, woman, and uh, Drew Carey, and they were the three celebrity judges. Drew Carey was pounding the table with his hands so hard that the the drinks were falling over. He was crying. He was laughing so hard at Dan Natterman. Dan Natterman and the other judges agreed was the number one guy that night. Dan Natterman did not make it into the house. Two people who got booed off the stage that night both made it into the house wow. and we were all there to watch it. And the judges stood up and walked out when they read, when the producers came out and read the 10 who were going to the house. Cause they were like, that's not the list we gave you. And then the producer said, well, you're just eye candy. You're, you know, you're not really making the decisions. The fine wow. print says the NBC executives and the producers of the show make the decisions. And so, you know, Drew Carey went to entertainment weekly and said, Look, they they made a fool out of me. You know, I I I won't do this to other comics. It's not fair. I was one there once, and it became a big scandal. And that's kind of where what the show was. It was okay. I mean, it was fine. Uh, it did some nice things for dear friends of mine. Corey Kahaney had a great run on that show. Um, you know, I, there are other people who are friends of mine who did very well on the show, and and I I kudos to them. But they were able to manipulate around. They they inserted the sound of crickets behind two of my friends. Uh, when they auditioned at a comedy club. Now, there are cockroaches everywhere in comedy clubs in Manhattan. There are no fucking crickets. Why would you put the sound of crickets behind except to humiliate these two guys who some producer, some junior producer has never told a joke in his life decided, hey, let's make fun of these guys. Go fuck yourself, you know? Yeah. to To make you look better, Tom, anyone we've ever asked about Last Comic Standing on this show has had absolute nightmare stories to tell about that show. So it's, it it's not like you're it. bitter because you didn't make it. It's just the show was not a good format. The show, in summation, I will say it was immensely popular. It was on NBC. And the top show of that season was the last episode of Friends was that season. The last season of Friends. The last season of Friends, each uh, cast member made a million dollars. It was a big thing. They all got together and they negotiated it. And they all decided we're going to make a million dollars an episode. So just to pay a weekly 
salary on that one show, it cost NBC $8 million plus just for the salaries. The final uh, prize, the grand prize of la- the first episode of grand of um, la- the first season of uh, Last Comic Standing was a $50,000 development deal in uh, with NBC. So if you're NBC and they're both getting similar ratings, mm-hmm. Friends is getting a little more than Last Comic Standing, but not much more. And your big payout at the end of you're paying Jay Moore as the host, but that's it. Yeah. Or you're paying Friends, which is making eight million just for the cast per episode. What are you going to do? And that's why NBC went with reality shows, and everybody else went with reality shows. They're so much cheaper to make, and that's why we hated them because they replaced the sitcom. And then I ended up sleeping with the enemy by going on America's Got Talent. So I'm a hypocrite, everybody. Well, we are coming up close to the end of the episode, Jacobs, and uh, he did mention that, uh, Tom, you mentioned that before you went on America's Got Talent that you had diarrhea <laughs> for a while. So And, and acne. And, and there's something we need that, that Jacob likes to ask all of our, our, our uh, uh, the people we have on the show. So, And what it boils down to is we, we're on two sides of the same coin. Jacob believes that it's okay to shit yourself occasionally. I say you shouldn't shit yourself if you're a full-grown adult. So, Jacob, you want to take it from here? Well, I mean, you summed it up pretty well, Jason. We we present this quandary to all of our esteemed guests on the show. I mean, when was the last time you shit your pants as a grown man, and is it okay? Do accidents just happen sometimes? Okay, well, two weeks ago... I'm going through security <laughs> airport at LaGuardia. LaGuardia is an old Italian word meaning lengthy delay. And I'm going through airport security. I have a four-ounce bottle of Imodium AD. None of your business. But I had that with me. And they took it away from me. They confiscated it because it's a liquid. And I said to them, I said, if you take that from me, I can almost guarantee you there'll be an explosion on this flight. <laughs> well, I don't know if you picked up a newspaper last week, but I'm no longer welcome on Delta. And it was a very, very bad experience. Oh. <laughs> I, you came I, running I, out of it. I, what, why were you naked when you come running out of the, the bathroom shitting down? That was a woman I heard. I heard that was a woman, actually, that did that. And I heard she got back uh, on the plane. After yeah. they cleaned it, she got back on the plane. I would not have let her back on the plane if I were the other passengers. But anyway, you know what? It's Jacob. Uh, you're a young man. Shit works on you, right? You, you probably have normal <laughs> bowel movements. Let me tell you something. No. I just turned 40 in 2005. And so my system is different, okay? You've never sat on a testicle. Well, that shit's coming, <laughs> all right? So relax. It'll happen. You get a little older. Your body doesn't cooperate. And you shart. You know, you, don't, you mean to fart, but it becomes a shart, and it's an issue. And I haven't had one in years. But I know that they can happen, and they've happened to friends of mine. Uh, my brother was playing golf, quick story, playing golf with uh, two older gentlemen, and uh, it was he and his dad and his buddy and his dad. And the, the dads, the older guys, were in one golf cart, and they were another. They stopped at a hole. His friend's father jumped in the golf cart and sped away. As he sped away, he looked over his shoulder, and he said, I drew mud, boys. I drew mud. <laughs> which meant he shit his pants and he was going to the clubhouse. So it happens. Apparently it happens. It's unfortunate, but uh, I don't need diapers yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. But Jacob, See, Jacob shit himself three weeks in a row on the, on, yes, uh, on the same night for three weeks in a row. 
And well, then it's just a holiday. It's a it's a <laughs> habit. At that point, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I mean it's it's not. There's nothing in common except it was on a Tuesday every time. And so, why are we talking on a Tuesday night right now? I don't know, but we need to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you wanted to end it with uh, explosive diarrhea. Uh, I don't know. You I do have uh, 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 Tom. You're you're here for. A, we're making history right now. We're making history right now, everybody. Mr. Mark Simmons has sent me an audio clip of apparently oh a new uh, theme song for us. Would you guys? Would you? Would you like to hear? Uh, I'm a, intrigued. A snippet. All right, let's I see. guess, dude. Come on. All right. I don't know what this is. This is live on the show right now, so I have no idea what's coming. So You edit this show, so if it's something heinous, just <laughs> right. keep that in mind that Here you edit go. this. Can it be worse than popping pussy and dropping ass? <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll find out. Here we go. All right, a good... Was that it? It sucks. It was just him going, I mean, yeah. It's like 10 seconds so far, and it's just him breathing and strumming a guitar. Just drop that ass, just drop that ass. It's open micers in the house. Pop that pussy with that open micers logo in your <laughs> Give it a little jazz theme. <laughs> little nightclub lounge act. It's, I like it. Chasing with his bald ass head. It's yeah, the same song. It's, it's the same, same song. song. He's, just, he's got a jazz little nightclub singer, lounge singer act. We can't play this. We yeah, can't this open is, the show with 20 minutes of this. This is a minute and four seconds long. We can't. We can't play this, Mark. It's it's got to be under 30 seconds, buddy. Mark, good effort, buddy. Don't 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 listen to the haters. It's a nice effort. I mean, it was some nice smooth jazz. I'll give him that. But a minute and four seconds is way too long for a for an opening. Uh, theme song, especially for a comedy podcast. Come on, man, yeah. what are you what are you doing over there? You got to get right to the popping pussy. Yeah, right to right as soon as it starts, just popping pussy like right yeah. there on the top. <laughs> Jacob, you just look horrified. <laughs> I hate this. I hate everything about this. I don't know why he did this to us. I don't know why. It's almost like he camped out live in the chat this whole time. To just drop the even worse theme song on all three of us. <laughs> Why would he do this? Why would I he do know. this after 9-11? Do it before <laughs> 9-11 but if you're going to drop bombs like this. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean... I, I mean, I'm not. I'm just gonna keep playing the other one for now because uh, it's you know it's it's nice fast pace to it, but uh, yeah, Mark, it's a little too slow, buddy. It needs needs to needs to be a he little. He somehow more. made it worse. He made a worse. Song. <laughs> but we no appreciate the effort. Play. Yeah, we appreciate it. But Tom, <laughs> Tom's our nice translator. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what we're trying to say. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, man. Gentlemen, it's been a blast. Nice yes, way to sir. spend a Tuesday evening, other than shitting in your pants. <laughs> well, yes, tell sir. tell everybody um, what you got going on these days. Are you doing any touring? Or are you got any albums yeah, this, coming uh, out? This Thursday, I'm at Parks Casino, which is just outside of Philadelphia. And Friday night, uh, I'm in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, at a place called the Stadium Theater. And then I head to uh, <laughs> The Villages. I don't know if you ever heard of The Villages in Florida. 
but it's a, a retirement community down there where um, they have a high level, of high rate of STDs. I don't know if you've heard about that. <laughs> I've heard you of know. this. Google yes. It. Yeah. And they hang pineapples upside down. That yeah. means they're swingers or some such shit. I don't they're, know. I'm going to just go and tell jokes. They're definitely and popping pussies down there in the, the Florida are, retirement they community. They are popping some uh, petrified pussy down there. They are. <laughs> so something. I will be there uh, on the weekend uh, and then uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then I come back Monday. And then after that, probably rehab. I can't remember where I am after that. Somewhere. Awesome. Awesome. What about you, Jacob? What you got coming up? Uh, uh, you got any uh, comedy spots coming up soon? Yes, sir. October 6th in Mobile at the Alabama Music Box. You can catch me on the Stone versus Drunk versus Sober Showcase. I will be representing Team Drunk along with Isaac Cosell. And on the Open Micers podcast, we've got Matt O'Brien coming up next week. He was a uh, staff writer on Conan O'Brien. We also have Sean Donnelly and the return of Mo Alexander. So a lot of fun things happening on the open mics. And uh, John Donnelly's a great dude. And um, let me interrupt just for a second and say I love the concept of the sober versus drunk. I've never heard that at a comedy club. That's great. I've done that showcase a couple of times before, and I, I think it's one of the best showcases in the country. Got to be. That's tremendous. Bravo. Yeah, I, Whoever came up with that, kudos. That would be Jason P. Leonard out of uh, Lafayette Comedy. Nice job. Came up with that. But uh, but thank you, Tom, for coming on. You can follow Mr. Tom at Tom Cotter Comic on Instagram and I believe Twitter as well, or X or whatever he's calling yeah. it these days. Uh, so go follow him there. Go follow him tomcotter.com for all the ticket info and everything you need. Uh, yeah, I'm on, on Facebook and uh, TikTok is Tom underscore Cotter. I'm pretty easy to find. So uh, check me out. Awesome. Well, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at openmikerspodcast at gmail.com. We're at openmikers.com. Go go read some of Jacob's, Jacob's blog stuff over there that he puts out in uh, every single month. And you can just go to linktree slash openmikerspodcast, and that'll take you everywhere you need to go. And we love you guys so much, and we will see you right here next week. This podcast is a Zoo House LLC production.